This is Dr. Saba Marouf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. Where'd you want to go? everybody and welcome to another episode of Unsung Heroes Stories to Inspire here on Podcast Detroit where we are back with episode 32 and our first episode of 2018. So happy new year everybody and I want to welcome back my co-host extraordinaire Calvin Moore. Extraordinaire? Yes, I, you, you got know, a promotion. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I feel much better about my co-hosting abilities now. This is great. <laughs> well, welcome back Calvin and Thank happy you. new year. Happy new year to you. Did you have a good new year's? I did. Okay. Yeah, I did. I had a nice holiday. Yeah. We were just here chilling. But I'm excited to be back. So thank you for being here with us. No problem. And also we are joined by our sound engineer extraordinaire, Jess. How are Wait, you, Wait, she's extraordinary as well? I feel like <laughs> I just feel special. I'm, I rank way above her. I don't understand. <laughs> it lessened it for you now? <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're just throwing out extraordinaires to anybody. To who, anyone? Just anybody can walk in the door everybody. and be like, oh, here's okay. our extraordinary guest. Okay, <laughs> well, can I say I'm... Well, I don't want to even I'm kidding. She, she's a, she is amazing. <laughs> yeah, she is, she absolutely is exactly. Amazing. She's, you're right, I am. <laughs> which, is, which is a little bit less than extraordinary, <laughs> if we're being honest. <laughs> Well, <laughs> we're fighting it in the parking lot after this. <laughs> um, but I'm no, but really, I'm really excited to be back. And thank you both for being here and supporting us on um, this show, where our purpose is to share amazing stories and unique narratives of individuals who have been sparked by their passion to become movers, shakers, and change makers in our communities. And we truly hope that by sharing these stories of positivity, we will inspire you all to live a life of purpose and action. And I'm very excited today, very humbled and honored um, to introduce our uh, next guest, who is Rana Abdulhamid. Hi, Rana. Hi. How, thank you so much for being here. Um, I've been following you on Instagram and all the amazing work that you do, and I'm really um, honored. Um, I know that you're super busy, and um, you know you just got this random message from this person saying she has a podcast. <laughs> I have no idea how many people are actually listening. I don't really know either. But hi, mom. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think she listens. <laughs> that's but that's, that's okay. Hilarious. I'm just like you know I'm coming. I mean. I came across your um, the amazing work that you're doing, and I was just it's just so inspiring. And I, you know, just wanted to share your voice. So welcome. Um, just want to introduce you. So Rana is a community organizer and martial artist from Queens, New York, and she holds a black belt in Shotokan karate and has over eight. You can I don't know if I pronounced that right, um, but she has over eight years of experience <laughs> teaching self defense globally. Um, she's also the youngest member of the Amnesty International USA Board of Directors, and she's a recipient of the UNA USA Leo Navas Human Rights Youth Award. She's a Truman Scholar and the 2015 Running Start Rising Political Star. Um, and, uh, she's also the founder of WISE, which is the International Muslim Women's Initiative for Self-Empowerment, which is a self-defense, social entrepreneurship, and leadership development movement for young Muslim women. So we're going to talk about this, but in 2010, while you were volunteering at a domestic violence organization for Muslim women, she experienced an act of violence, and she realized that Muslim women not only face private gender-based violence, but also public harassment, aggression, and discrimination. 
And given the anti-Islamic sentiments and discrimination that were that are continuing to alienate Muslim youth in some of the most formative years of their lives, Rana formed WISE to provide young Muslim women a space to heal from their negative experiences of violence, to hone their individuality, and to learn ways to turn negative experiences into a drive for positive social change. And um, this organization really provides young women with the skills they need to propel themselves into leadership roles. And since 2010, WISE has expanded nationally and internationally. In the U.S., there's um, current chapters that are operating in New York, New Jersey, Washington, D.C., and Texas, and even internationally with chapters operating in Spain, Scotland, and Ireland. And I love this quote from you, Rana, which is, our model is focused on providing tangible skills to young women so that they can become their own advocates for social change. So, wow, and welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much. You did a great job introducing the organization. Oh, good. Well, I mean, I can't say, you know, I had to do a little research because I didn't get an email from someone, but that's okay. Actually, we had a little mix up with our scheduling, so I really appreciate you. Um, I actually double booked myself for next week until I realized, whoops. So Rana was awesome and she was like, yeah, no, I can come the day after tomorrow. So thank you for that. But um, Rana, tell us a little bit about your background, um, you know, growing up and your early life experiences and kind of how that's led you to um, uh, the amazing work that you're doing today. Yeah. And so like you said, I grew up in Queens, New York, which is, I think, one of the main reasons why I am who I am today. I think growing up in a very, very diverse neighborhood, um, where people can, you had know, come from like all over the world. It's one of the most diverse counties in, counties in the United States. Kind of exposed me exposed me very early on to like the value of diversity and the value of difference, um, and really develop allowed me to develop a love for culture and community from a very early stage. But then also like being able to see the sacrifice of immigrant parents constantly around me and that hustle constantly around me (laughs) definitely gave me the hustle (laughs) that allows me to do the work that I do. Um, And so I think part of my own leadership is oftentimes channeling my own upbringing as a child of immigrants. My my family immigrated from Egypt about 25 years ago. Um, And it also continues to kind of push me to try to create spaces where diversity is valued in the same way that I was able to see growing up. Wow. So my mic on, there we go. Okay. So we mentioned in your bio, but there was a traumatic experience that kind of led to, uh, the formation of wise. Can you go into, can you go into the specifics of that story? Yeah, of course. Um, so at the time, so basically I grew up post nine 11 in New York city. Um, and so it was, like night and day, like I woke up one day and was now being identified as a Muslim, um, where I didn't necessarily like hold on to that identity marker that much, like growing up until after 9-11 happened, but in a very negative, from a negative lens, right? And with that came a lot of bullying, but also harassment, discrimination. And I saw a lot of also violent policy being impacting my own community. And in particular, um, I basically like one day was walking down the street in Queens and was assaulted by a man um, who was trying to remove my hijab. And so basically like tried to yank, violently yank my hijab off my head, tried to attack me to try to take my hijab off my head. Um, but I was able to like get away and was able to react in a way that like got me to turn around and not pull away. So was able to get his hand off of me basically. 
um, but was feeling very vulnerable, alone, um, scared for a really long time afterwards because of the emotional trauma that I experienced um, from that moment and didn't necessarily have the language of like hate crime or hate-based violence mm-hmm. or the space to go to, to feel like, to even know what next steps would be, right? To like know to report or to know um, that this is something that happens in New York and like happens across the U.S. to other people. And so that's kind of what prompted the need for me to heal, but also like the need for me to try to think about what I can do for other women who may have experienced similar types of violence. Now, that that's, gosh, when I think about yeah. women being assaulted in general, like it, it makes my blood boil. But there's also the other side of me that's like, if somebody has a black belt, my number one question of them is always, do you think you can beat me up? Because I think they can. <laughs> they probably beat me up. Uh-huh. So, uh, I mean, that obviously spearheaded before, long before the organization started, um, you started training in martial arts before that, obviously. Um, did that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so wait, were you, so had you been training in martial arts before this incident or is that kind of the impetus that led you to after? No. I've been doing martial arts since I was like seven, eight. Wow. So, oh, okay. So that guy okay. picked the wrong girl. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know who he was messing with. That's, that's yeah. Although it's different, so like be, you know, being a martial artist doesn't necessarily translate into being um, able to deal with street mm-hmm. violence, right. right? Because there's a lot of art within the martial arts form. Um, and there's a lot more technique and muscle memory building. I think when we teach our self-defense, so our self-defense techniques are rooted in martial arts discipline, but aren't necessarily like what you would learn mm-hmm. if you went to a karate class. Right. Um, and so. Right. Everybody we, just we assumes, that, everybody assumes you're Bruce Lee out there. Everybody just assumes you're Bruce yeah, Lee when, yeah. you, when you study martial <laughs> arts. Yeah, it's different, but it's, it's definitely very helpful. I mean, it's definitely what informs the work that we do today. Wow. I mean, how long did it take you to, uh, I could see that situation for a lot of people. I mean, it would just be very jarring for some people. They might not get like how violating that would be, but it's not just an act of violence, but it's like the essence of like your identity, like trying to remove that. And I could see for a lot of people that would want to um, retreat, you know, retreat more or, or give up that, um, that piece of cloth, that identity, and just be like, this is dangerous. I don't want to wear this anymore because it's putting my life in danger. Or, you know, many of these reactions. So I guess, you know, how did it affect you immediately? How long did it take you to, I mean, it's, I'm really curious, how did, long did it take you to turn that around and turn it into such a, like a positive idea, that spark, and then just kind of go with it? Because I don't think a lot of people would respond the way that um, yeah. that you did, thankfully. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like you're right in the sense that I've seen that happen a lot. Like a lot of women, one of one of the women that we were working with, actually, she was like hospital, like be into the point of hospitalization, right? Um, and she, her decision was to like remove her hijab. And I think it's really important to recognize that people heal very differently. Like the way in which I heal and the way in which I respond to like violence or trauma is very action oriented because that's mm-hmm. just like how I I. I still think it's because I'm from Queens and like we're just very action driven. Like everyone's just like do, do, do all the time. Mm. Um, and it, because it helps also distract me um, and helps me think about like, how can I use this energy to like actually do something or create something. And so I think, I think what's really important is that as a society, especially as a Muslim community, like, you know, people are very harsh when it comes to 
the way in which people react to certain types of violence. And I think we have to have more empathy, right? Like if a woman decides that the best thing for her to do is like actually change her outward appearance, like that's what she needs to do to keep herself safe. That's valid, right? If another woman like holds on to it even more, that's also valid. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it took me like, it definitely took me a couple of months to get back into the flow of things, but uh, that's kind of, like, that's kind of how I reacted personally. And did you talk to others about, in those months, I don't know if you talked to other people about if they were having experiences, I guess, when did you realize that this was kind of a wide-scale problem and something needed to be done? Yeah, so I didn't, so basically what happened was, like, I remember I went back to the DV organization and locked myself in the bathroom and was just, like, crying, right? And then I got out, and, like, we, I was actually, like, on my way to another event, and the woman who I was going with was, like, running, like, should we call someone? Like, should we call police? Should we do this? And I was like, no, no, no. Like, it's fine. Like, it'll be fine. Right. And I like totally kind of dismissed and didn't want to like dwell on it at all. Um, and kind of that's how I reacted. Mm. So it wasn't like so much, it wasn't until later where I was like, Oh wow, this happens to other people. Cause I was like hearing about it more and more. Um, and that's kind of what pushed me to be like, this is something that needs to, this is something that we need to do something about. So like after 9-11, I don't know if you know the statistic, but hate crimes against Muslim Americans increased by 1600%, which is like an outrageous amount. And then actually right now, the time we're living in today, it's like the highest rate of hate crimes facing Muslim Americans ever. Um, and so, you know, clearly it was an issue. It continues to be an issue. And so I kind of just like saw the challenge and wanted to try to do something about it. So now you have done something about it. Tell us about, tell us about why, sorry. uh, Tell us about why is in the work that you're doing at at that grassroots level. What what are some of the, uh, the basic tenets uh, and ideas that you were espousing through, through the organization? And can you tell people what, what wise stands for? Cause I know we said it in the bio, but people may have forgotten. Yeah. um, So with it, so it's called the International Muslim Women's Initiative for Self-Empowerment. And we use the acronym WISE to represent ourselves. And like a lot of women who are in our programming will call themselves WISE Women. Right? And we think about like what is the idea of a WISE woman, um, especially within the context right now of like a growing women's movement that is very much active and activated and ready like to create change. And we think about the demographics that we serve are very much urban, like in urban context oftentimes working-class backgrounds, oftentimes um, children of immigrants who are at the intersection of various forms of violence. So it's not just hate-based violence, but also gender-based violence um, that they're dealing with. And when we think of, like, who's a wise woman, we think of a woman who kind of goes through our programming, is able to find sisterhood and empowerment because, um, because of the type of spaces that we create, where we allow opportunity for healing and um, peer-to-peer kind of support, but then also is gaining a specific skill set, right? So it's always leaving our spaces, having learned something new. And the skills that we focus on are threefold. The first part is the self-defense bit, right? So it's like physical empowerment. You actually are able to be physically in control of your body. You learn to have agency over your body in a time where, like, your body's under assault, both, like, in the home and also, like, on the street. Second is the financial literacy and social entrepreneurship. So it's like thinking about like economically empowering our women so that they're 
you know, they have agency, economic agency over their lives and are able to create and develop business ideas and like see them through. And the third part of it is actually community organizing because we're all about like, how do we put ourselves out of business? Like we don't just, we don't want it to self-defense forever, right? We want it so that we're actually changing systems and organizational structures that we don't need to be teaching self-defense. No. And that's, we like try to get women to think about what are challenges in your community? How can you organize to create change for your own community? Now, it's interesting something that you did bring up because I remember, um, I want to say it was maybe a couple of years ago. It was either the Miss America contest or the Miss Universe contest, but one of the two, uh, there was a contestant who was asked uh, about this kind of thing, and I believe it, I believe it was Miss Texas, but she was talking all about Miss, uh, you know, def- self defense. Women need to learn self defense, and people lost their minds over saying that. Um, primarily because they felt, I mean, there were a lot of women who were upset about it because they said, "No, we shouldn't have to self defend, you know, defend ourselves. Men just shouldn't. Men just shouldn't touch us," which is correct. That's absolutely correct. Um, but on the other hand. Uh, I look and I go, yeah, that's true. Men shouldn't touch you, but you live in a world where they do. And so I find what you're doing uh, smart. Do I wish it? you didn't have to? Absolutely. How can we create a world where you don't have to? Um, I'm having those conversations all the time. We're having those conversations all the time. Apparently, you're having those conversations all the time uh, as well. Um, But what are some of the – I mean, what are some of the challenges that that you face with an organization that – I guess you have a good deal of women who are like, no, we don't need to do that. And you have women who are like, yeah, I'm here because I absolutely believe we do need this. So we actually haven't faced a lot of critique on that. And even because we, we preface all of our programming with a statement that's like, you shouldn't even be here, right? Like you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be learning this, but the reality is we live in a society that is sexist, that is racist. Right. Yes. And in order for us to be able to like thrive in this society, we need to give ourselves the tools to be able to defend ourselves if something were to happen, to be able to de-escalate a situation if something were to happen. And I'm sure there are folks who, you know, who are like, actually, let me focus my energy more on uprooting these systems and like dealing with this violence in other ways. And that's also very valid. But there are a lot of women who find very healing to go through the process of like being able to defend and for us like it's not a lot of it is also just like emotional empowerment right there's so many times historically and also like present day in every single woman's life where like we feel this overwhelming sense of powerlessness right over our own bodies and to be able to like be in a self-defense class where you you're reorienting your understanding of where power could come from and understanding that power can actually come from your own body, right? Regardless of your size, like I'm five foot one and I could still like push you down <laughs> if you were to try to hurt me, right? It's, that's a really beautiful thing. And we really try to hone in on that and, and focus on the broader picture, right? Which is why we have this like multifaceted organizing model that isn't just focused on one solution to the gender violence issue. Yeah, that's what um, even just your website is really amazing um, for everyone that's interested. It's I am or I'm wise, I am W-I-S-E dot org. And um, just looking at especially this mentee Muslima um, program, Muslima is the 
term for like a fe- female Muslim, female ter- uh, version of Muslim, Muslima. And um, and yeah, it's, I really love how there's four components. Like as you said, it's not just about self-defense. Self-defense is a core part of it, but also dialogue and leadership building, entrepreneurship and the mentorship program. Um, and there's a quote here from a participant. Menti Muslima was a great experience where I got to learn a lot more about myself as well as improving my communication and leadership skills. I felt stronger physically and emotionally, especially because of the amazing support group it gave me. It was an unforgettable experience and I made amazing friends there as well. Um, so you're really honing in on, um, definitely some core, uh, some core facets of, you know, kind of empowerment, not just the physical part of it. What are, um, the general ages and backgrounds of the women joining you? And is this kind of open for all women? Is it specifically for Muslim women or, you know, have you had other women, uh, express interest and be involved? Yeah, so we have various levels of programming. Some of it is very specific to Muslim women, like the Menti Muslima Summer Camp, which happens um, in New York and in Dallas, Texas. And that's just for high school girls. So Mm. it's like in New York, it happens in every single borough. It's a summer camp um, that's like eight weeks long. And they learn self-defense, entrepreneurship, and community organizing. Um, We have programming that's like one-off. That, for example, we'll do like a three-hour self-defense session um, or a weekend-long organizing retreat or we'll do like a like three-hour financial literacy training. And that oftentimes like will attract not just Muslim women, which is really awesome because we feel like our skills and the spaces that we create can be beneficial to many people. And actually, immediately after the election, we got a ton of requests from groups that feel marginalized outside of Muslim communities. So... LGBTQ folks, um, we have Latinx folks who are reaching out, um, women in general. We did a class at the Women's Convention that went really, really well. Um, and so mm-hmm. we have, like like I said, we have various levels of programming. One big program that we do that's coming up, sort of right at the top of my mind, is we host the National Muslim Women's Summit, which is a young Muslim women um, organizing weekend where we bring 50 Muslim women from across the country to Harvard University. Um, for training in organizing and leadership. And it's like a really empowering space where they also do financial literacy training and self-defense training as well. And that's specific to Muslim women. So, you know, we, we understand that there are spaces that we that need to be created just for Muslim women because it allows it to be a truly safe space. But then we're also open to always doing classes for any other demographic group that may be interested um, even folks who are just wanting to be allies, we've done a ton mm. of bystander and upstander trainings as well. Wow, that's awesome. What are uh, what are upstanders for people who don't know what that term is? And, yeah, so and by people who don't know, I mean me. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I haven't heard that term either. Obviously, I know what a bystander is, but yeah. What's upstander? Um, so an upstander is basically someone who, like, if you see some form of violence facing a marginalized like a member of a marginalized community, then you, you know, take it upon yourself to actually intervene actively. Um, so it's like active allyship. So that could be like in the moment, it could be afterwards, it could be you speaking out against some sort of violence, be organizing against violence. It manifests in many ways. Okay. It's like um, an active, it's not just a bystander, but a bystander is anybody that's witnessing any kind of uh, like bullying or violence, um, but one that's taken action. Now they've, become an upstander. They become part they become part of the situation in a way. Yeah. 
Um, not just watching and witnessing. So, so yeah, let's let's talk about that for a second. Uh, I mean, I want to ask. I mean, I, one of the questions I want to ask is, do you have a lot of male allies uh, along for this journey? Um, but another question in terms of training people to be upstanders, I know that there was a situation that happened. I want to say it was in Seattle, uh, where a guy oh, was yeah, harassing a Muslim train, woman, subway, and um, and somebody became an upstander, mm-hmm. and then he was stabbed to death. And so I think that there is a a basic nature within mankind to kind of be a bystander. I was at our local, we have a, a, a local chain out here called Meyer. Uh, it was a couple weeks ago and there was a guy, we were returning cans because here in, here in Michigan, you can return pop cans. Can you return them in California? I think you can. You can return pop cans in California. Uh, but, uh, out here, there was a guy who was screaming at this lady. He was twice her size. Um, and you could just see her become this shrinking violet. You could see the fear in her eyes that this guy was going to do something horrendous to her because he felt she cut her in line. You know, she cut him in line to return some pop cans. Uh, and mm-hmm. of course, in that moment, I thought of all the things I want to say to this guy, but I didn't say any of those things. Uh, and. Maybe it was self-preservation. Maybe I was a cat. I mean, another one is I could be a coward. I don't know. But I think generally a lot of people see someone else being mistreated and then go into self-preservation mode. I don't want anything bad to happen to me. So how do you train someone to push past that inclination, the the inclination to to self-preserve? I think that's definitely like a natural inclination. And I think there's like different things to think about. First of all, um, but being an upstander doesn't mean you have to directly engage, right? That's one form okay. of allyship. It's direct engagement. There's also delayed engagement, which is like you wait till the incident's over and then you check in on the person and you say, Hey, are you okay? Is there anything I can do? There's also distracting. So you could like not engage the aggressor at all and you could try to engage, engage the person that's being aggressed um and also try to distract the in the situation by doing something so there's been like all these youtube videos that have come out of folks who for example start singing like where's the love right like when right. someone's like being hateful things like this um so those are two alternatives for folks who may not necessarily want to directly engage an aggressor that being said it, it can really be effective to directly engage the aggressor and the way in which someone can build confidence and courage to be able to do that is just through me- muscle memory, right? And through like prep before they even leave their home. So uh, after the election, a lot of folks like started wearing these safety pins and I thought like that's a little, you know, without training, right. And without like actual mental engagement of what it means to be an ally, it's actually pretty like it, it makes it a little bit challenging to wear a safety pin when you don't know for sure if you're going to hmm. intervene. So even just like framing your mind saying, okay, today if I leave and if something does happen, I'm making the intention of doing X, Y, Z, or I'm using this language to distract, or I'm going to use this language to engage this person who's being violent. Um, it could make you better prepared and then less freaked out when it does happen. Well, I do some workshops and stuff for uh, like bullying for parents and kids. Um, and uh, I've kind of talked a little bit about the bystander effect and some of the things that they found that are really helpful is um, exactly kind of that. It's kind of like 
role playing. So you're exactly you're kind of putting the kids imagine that you're in the situation and kind of getting them to practice what they would do if they're in that situation. And there's even some in Scandinavian countries, some um, computer programs where they have avatars and they're put in these role playing situations. And exactly. It's kind of um, very much like practicing and that muscle memory and like getting yourself used to saying and even if you're not saying something in the moment, but going and supporting the person afterwards and saying, I saw what happened and I'm here for you. And, you know, so that's really interesting. And I think, um, you know, it works for kids and then also as adults too. Sometimes as adults, we're actually almost more sheltered and more kind of recluse. We don't really know how to help and we just kind of bow our heads down and kind of walk away. So this is really amazing. It's not just about um, the victims or you want to use the word victors. It's about the people that are around that are, that might be witnessing um, traumatic or frightening events. Um, mm-hmm. but I also want to, did you, um, I also wanted to actually mention too, to our listeners that you also received the women of worth L'Oreal 2017, um, award, and you've also been a TEDx speaker. Um, and so that's, you know, congratulations. And that's really amazing. Um, can you t- tell us a little bit about that experience or what that was about, yeah, especially the women of worth award? Okay. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. So it was like, I was one of the 10 finalists for the women of worth award for L'Oreal this year, which is a huge honor, obviously, because L'Oreal is an international brand that very much their slogan is, or is like, you're worth it. Right. And the idea is that women are worth it. And that's why the, the award is called women of worth. And so for me, even that whole concept of like trying to really focus on empowering women and getting visibility from a brand that like has such a huge reach was such an honor. But even more so, I think what was really exciting was the other women who were finalists um, in the in the award ceremony. And for for me to be able to meet them was such a huge inspiration because it like allows you to think that, and it reminds you that you're part of a broader women's movement of folks doing a ton of work to really push forward our status as women in this world. And so one example was there was a woman um, who was actually trafficked in Queens, New York. Um, and now like after she, she basically was like a sex slave for two years. And then after she found her own freedom by escaping, she now goes around and actually saves and frees women who are in these situations across the U S and I just find it so inspiring mm-hmm. um, for that. But then also find, finding opportunities for us to work together and combine efforts. I think that's like the main takeaway from the experience. Wow. So, so what's, a, what's a really memorable moment for you within, within the organization you've created? Oh, my God. So many. <laughs> I just feel like there's, I mean, it's been such an incredible journey. And it's been so rewarding in so many ways I can't even explain but um one moment in particular so last summer I actually ran a a wise program in Zathari which is the largest refugee camp in the world it's based in Jordan and has about um 80,000 Syrian refugees and has been open for the past for the past like six years seven years so since the conflict has started and for me that was like such a powerful experience because I was able to see, like, one, how impactful our work was, even within that context. Like, I went in kind of like, will self-defense even matter to them? Like, are they even going to care about this? Like, are these healing circles actually going to work? Because there's so much trauma there that, like, I thought this would be 
seen as kind of frivolous and like not actually important and irrelevant to their lives. But all of the young girls I worked with were so excited about one, the self-defense that even their moms wanted to take self-defense, <laughs> but also too, like to be able to have a space where they were like talking about the challenges that they were facing and coming to the realization that like even women who are like not, they're not only fighting like a civil war, right. And like escaping from civil war and living in a refugee camp and dealing with all of these different things, like economic injustice and violence, but they're still dealing with gender-based violence and like still dealing with sexual mm-hmm. harassment when they're walking through the camps and like still dealing with like domestic violence in their homes and um, have to deal with rape and all this other type of, all this stuff that like, I'm like, wow, even in the middle of war, right? Like women are still battling because mm-hmm. of their gender. Um, and to me, it was very powerful because it's just like a motivation to keep doing this work. Wow. That's really amazing. Um, yeah. What's, um, what's next for you? What's in store for wise and for you? And what do you see, you know, what are, what do you see in the future, short term, long term? Yeah, for wise, we have big plans. So stay tuned. (laughs) We actually do. We're doing a relaunch um, of our brand um, at the beginning of the first week of April. So that's super exciting for us. Um, and we've been working on a lot of other programming that's new that's coming out. So we're doing, we're actually working on a male engagement program that we've had like a prototype rollout in New York, um, like a couple of months ago. And it's been really successful. It's something we want to launch nationally. Um, we've also been doing some spirituality programming and safe spaces that are targeted towards like young urban professionals. Um, so we're, we're rolling out more programs. Um, rolling out a new brand, really looking at how we can create, like our whole goal is like we're trying to build an international grassroots movement for women um, to create safety for women. And so, you know, we're building to that and it's really, really exciting. Um, For me, I, you know, it's wise. I'm out in SF traveling a lot for wise, good stuff. So so no, and you're from New York, but you um, moved to California a few years ago, correct? And you're based four months it. ago. Oh, just four months ago. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that's a pretty wow. Totally cross country. It's a very different experience too. It so, is. Yeah. Wow. Well, incredible. Well, I do hope that if you're ever in the Detroit area, I know that there's actually been some local work with Wise as well. I think in Ann Arbor. <laughs> but if you're ever here, please, um, please. Um, uh, get in touch and I'd love to meet you in person. We'd love to have you even in, in the studio in person. Um, I'm really excited. Um, I, I know we kind of mentioned this, but I, we we're kind of working in a group that we wanted uh, with, I'm working with a group that we were trying to bring like a women's, um, exact, we were just talking about it yesterday, women's empowerment, wellness kind of seminar in the fall. And I would be so honored. Um, we would love to have you, um, come here locally and just kind of inspire us and share, um, your experiences and, Really, I'm just um, really inspired by everything that you do. I just want you here because there's a couple of guys who like to run their mouths uh, who need to be put in their place. And uh, like, I'd like you to say that, that, too. say that to my friend here. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much, Rana. Really, thank you for your time. No, thank you. And we really appreciate it. Um, I know that, um, I mean, you're just such an inspiration, all the amazing work that you're doing and that you've um, accomplished. And again, coming from a place um, kind of of darkness, but that you did turn that 
that your form of healing, I really appreciate that you described that as a form of healing was um, taking it to action. Um, so thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for joining us again and um, coming back in 2018 um, with our show. Please like our Facebook page and um, look out for updates and subscribe, share, leave us a review on iTunes, leave us a you know, comment um, on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. And um, we'll be back soon. Stay in touch. And um, we'll be back soon with another episode of Unsung Heroes. Thanks.